Welcome to Scarlet Tavern. Grab a drink, take a seat, and let's begin. Today we're diving into the cosmic comedy of alien abductions. Grab your tinfoil hats, fasten your seatbelts, and get ready for a ride more outlandish than a UFO on roller skates. Because if we can't laugh about intergalactic road trips and probing pranks, what can we laugh about? Stay tuned for an abduction-packed episode that's sure to be a close encounter of the funny kind. This is Scarlet Tavern, Mead, Murder, and More. Alright, so... This is going to be a fun one. Yeah, um, yeah. We have finished our... Let's keep our background music on here a little bit. Set the mood. Yeah. Um, so, we finished Jack the Ripper. Pam is back with us. Um, and we are, we decided to get it a little more lighthearted. Um, I will start this off by saying I believe everyone in this room does believe aliens exist, but some of these stories are a little outlandish. Okay, I believe in aliens. Ben laughs at me every time. I'm not a firm believer on Bigfoot. I Bigfoot I, is real. I believe in both. We will do a thing on cryptids and stuff where Bigfoot will come in, since we live in part of Bigfoot country. So I will find you, Bigfoot. Um, yeah, let's not. Alright. He's friendly. Well, he doesn't exist according to you. So. Yeah, so what do you got to worry about? Yeah, we don't need to invite any cryptids into uh, here. Okay. Come on, Mothman. Yes. <laughs> Injured cold. No. It's the smiling man. No. no. <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, we're going to go through a few of these. Um, we're not doing long stories. A few of these we've touched on already, like Betty and Barney Hill. <laughs> um, these guys. But we're going to touch on a few, give our opinions on them. And then, um, if we have time at the end, we'll talk about our beliefs individually in aliens and all that kind of stuff. So, this is a whole this is a whole barrel of monkeys to unpack. Yeah, it is. Um, all right. So, okay. Betty and Barney Hill. Oh, these guys. These were one of our first ones from our first season. Yeah. So they took a spontaneous trip to the White Mountains of New Hampshire in September 1961. As he recounted in John G. Fuller's The Interrupted Journey from 1966, Barney needed a break from his night shift at the post office while Betty was mentally exhausted from handling state child welfare cases. On the last night of their makeshift honeymoon, the two found themselves in a Vermont diner ready to make the last dash home to Portsmouth, New Hampshire. By leaving at 10 p.m., they planned on arriving home around 2 a.m. On the road, Betty noticed a quote-unquote, particularly bright star, perhaps a planet, in the sky. When this celestial object began changing its course in an erratic manner, Betty was convinced it was a UFO. Her husband was not. Barney, she said. Sorry. <clears throat> Barney, she said. <laughs> if you think it's a satellite or a star, you're completely ridiculous. It was very clear at this point that the honeymoon was over and, um... Kind of, kind of. I really kind of wish we had a, a safe recording of her yeah. voice to see if the, how close you are. Probably close. As the object grew drew closer, Barney pulled the car to stop, and gun in hand, Jesus. got out to investigate. As he approached the object, Barney saw what he would later describe as a quote pancake-like disc, glowing with brilliant white light. End quote. That was about the size of a jet. Fleeing back to his car, he and Betty tried to evade the vessel, 
but were instead overcome with an intense drowsiness and immediately fell unconscious. The couple pulled into their driveway around dawn, unable to recall what had happened. Two hours of memory seemed to have been wiped from both their minds. While Betty was convinced that they had encountered a UFO, a later report, and later reported the sighting to the Air Force, her husband was skeptical. It was only when the couple met with psychiatrist Dr. Benjamin Simon for a consultation in December 1963 that Barney changed his mind. I say Dr. Benjamin Simon that way because he is a known quack. Um, he, he is a psychiatrist that is just whacked out. Mm. Um, he, he is a male Harley Quinn. Um, really? Dr. Simon found both to be suffering from quote unquote crippling anxiety. Betty in particular manifested hers in the form of repetitive nightmarish dreams. Is he, Doc- one, of, is he one of these idiots that would classify women as hysterical women syndrome or something yeah. like that? Yeah, that sounds about Dr. Right. Simon then put them under hypnosis, which reportedly yielded high ominous memories. Barney Hill recalled creatures with slanted eyes taking the couple aboard their UFO to conduct experiments on their naked bodies. Barney claimed that the beings took samples of hair, skin, and nail clippings, then a six-inch-long needle was inserted into Betty's stomach. Betty told Dr. Simon that she later asked a being they knew to be the leader where they were. It jokingly replied, If you don't know where you are, there wouldn't be any point in telling you where I am. During another hypnosis session in 1964, Betty purposely drew a star map of the sky from memory as seen from a planet orbiting the star Zetaretakuli. Most shocking above all was that this map was drawn with confounding accuracy and that Zeta Reticuli lies some 40 light years from Earth. Betty's nearly spot-on recreation of the stars surrounding an actual star system remains one of the most intriguing aspects of all alien stories ever reported. Ultimately, Betty and Barney Hill's account led the Air Force to launch Project Blue Book, a shadowy initiative that aimed to investigate domestic UFO sightings, and also presented a template for all UFO abduction stories that followed in the decades to come. Um, which, believe it or not, Project Blue Book, I believe, still exists. I think it does, but just under a different name. Correct. And a lot of them has actually been declassified. Yes, it has, just recently. And um, later on, I do have something on it being declassified. So, Betty and Barney Hill are full of fucking shit. Um, I, I'm, I, we touched on this, you and I, during the first season... I'm not unconvinced they weren't slipped some LSD in there at that diner in Vermont. MK Ultra, something, yeah, or just some cook, some line cook who they probably sent their food back. He got pissed. It was like, yeah, I listen again. I believe in aliens. I believe aliens exist. Uh, and then this whole thing of her drawing a star map. Guess what? I can go get a book, memorize the way it's drawn, and do that. Mm-hmm. Betty and Barney Hill, which we didn't really dive into their story because if you want to know get into this deeper go check out our first season we did Betty and Barney Hill we dove a lot deeper they are all about the money yeah they did all of this for the money Barney backed off of it a lot a little bit down I would say like middle of the road of this he just he just saw the thing but Betty <coughs> she whoo, went to the grave with it she yeah she she was committed so I I don't believe their story at all no I don't uh, Pam, what do you think? I mean, I don't really believe it. Because 
I will get into my personal beliefs later, but I don't believe it. Well, I find it just really odd that during the in a small dark New Hampshire road that aliens are chasing people down. Yeah. The 1969 Berkshire's UFO incident that shocked an entire town. When numerous residents of Berkshire County, Massachusetts, individually reported having seen a UFO on September 1st, 1969, authorities were at a loss for an explanation. This wasn't a lone sighting induced by sleep deprivation that could be easily dismissed. It truly appeared as though something uncanny had occurred. On the evening in question... Residents spotted lights above Sheffield in the southern Berkshires. Many of the witnesses said that the lights were fitted to an unidentified disc-shaped craft that was maneuvering in unprecedented ways. Some witnesses claimed they lost track of time as they gazed with stunned fascination at the object. It came to a stop off the right side of the road. He recalled of the glowing orbs. Everything got really calm. It was like being in the middle of a hurricane. There was, like, a barometric change in pressure. It was just, like, a dead silence. Then there was an eruption of crickets and frogs, and it got, like, really loud, and that was it. Then the family suddenly found itself back in the car. But they had inexplicably lost two hours of memory. Strange. Two hours. Stranger still, Reed's mother and grandmother had somehow switched car seats. Whoops. Um, probably should have got back in the same door you got out of. Despite any tangible evidence of the Berkshire's UFO incident, Reed has remained steadfast in his account. He said over time the family regained some memory of the incident, including having been to a hangar-like facility with other people. We encountered something. It was definitely not of this world. The hangar thing we were in was, like, huge. It was larger than a football field. This hallway we had seen was circular with a Y configuration almost to control the flow of traffic. This one room had a bowed-in wall that was rounded. It w- it's important to remember that Reed was only one of dozens of people who reported witnessing a UFO in the Sheffield area that night. Some were adults who called into the local radio station to report the sighting. Others were children who began drawing UFOs in class. There must have been 20 or 30 sketches that were drawn by children in our fourth grade class from what they saw. They hung underneath the class board in Sheffield Center School. More than one of those hangs in the Roswell Museum today. People don't realize the significance of this, and so it it just wasn't us. And scene. (laughs) (laughs) Here's a pothead. Yeah. It's probably what happened. I don't... So that was hard because yeah. it's an entire town. And it it's is like it, more than one person. Where with it, Barney and Betty Hill, it was just them. This is more people than just one or two. Okay, yeah. let me let me pitch this idea to you too. Then hmm. small town. This is a small town. Okay, mm-hmm. no money. Very yeah. little money in the in the late sixties, early seventies. Yeah, and, and this is Massachusetts. <sighs> They what? Uh, they know of Rockwell. They know all of this kind of stuff. Roswell. They, Roswell. Roswell. Sorry. What's Rockwell? Rockwell. Yeah. What's is that, Rockwell? Is that the other? Yes, place? it is. No. Rock, Rockwell is a city. Um, but 
Um, that that is that's where Area Seventy One is. <laughs> um, I get what you did there. Area Fifty Three is near us. Damn, it is. I'm not. I'm not joking. It's yeah. it's declassified. Oh yeah. It's at Wright Pat. Yeah, Wright Pat is. Wright Wright Pat is where all the UFOs are. Uh, yeah. It's, it's Area Fifty Three. We we you guys know we live in Northern Kentucky, oh Southern Ohio area, um, and. So we are not that far from Wright Patterson Air Force Base. That is, it's been declassified again. So that is where all the UFOs have been stored. What they call, I think, believe Area Fifty Two or Fifty Three is there. So that's what we're referencing. But think about this: this you get the small town. There's not a lot of money. If they talk about this being a place that aliens come. What happens? Tourist dollar. Tourist, tourism. Yeah. Now all of these mom and pop stores are making a shit ton of money. They're going to start selling merch. All these people are going to start bringing in a lot of money. And now this town is on the map. And their buildings can't be torn down because now they're historic. They're this and that. So it, it this, def- this is a, this, in the, my opinion, again, I'm not a skeptic. This yeah. is, this is a way to keep their small town alive. It's also kind of weird. These descriptions are very... Like, with, with Reed's description of it, this is very detailed. Well, this... His description is a military airplane hangar. Exactly. Listen, like, the hangar we were in was huge. It was larger than a football field. C-130s yeah. and 141s go in there all the time. This hallway we had seen was circular with a Y configuration. He has a lot of. I would say my point was is that he's got a lot of details for somebody who's essentially uh, that, and also on the ground level. Some of this stuff is like, how are you seeing this? Like, if you're like right, if you're in the middle of it, some of these details would be very hard to come across unless you came at it at a different angle. Well, to me at least. And my other thing too is, kids have. Great imaginations, okay? Oh, yeah. So these kids, even if this was real, are going to see so many different variations of things. But from all accounts of this, every drawing was the same. That all 20 or 30 sketches of these kids in fourth grade were exactly the same. Yeah, I I think some of these parents were coaching them. Yeah, so... Or the teacher. Because now that one of these hangs in the Roswell Museum... Like that, yep. it's not. That's a little convenient. I agree. Just me, but um. So, <clears throat> Whitley Schreiber. I've never heard of this. One. Has written fiction for more than forty years, <laughs> with notable titles including the horror novels *The Wolfen* and *The Hunger*. You would like those. They're actually really good. Um, he is a like New York Times bestseller. Um. That's kind of also why I added this one, because I knew I would enjoy this one. He contends that his writing streak was interrupted one night in the late 80s by an alien abduction in upstate New York. Alright, where where in this... It never says. says. Hold on. Yeah, he probably was in the Adirondacks. Hold on. Um... Just so you know, everyone, I'm from the Buffalo region... Anybody who's nobody says upstate New York if you're from that area, you say western New York. Upstate New York. 
my wife is not from New York, so therefore she that her she her classification is not valid in this case. Okay, fine. Western upstate New York. That just made no sense. <laughs> so let's see. It was in a cabin. Kingston, New York. That, I believe, Kingston without... You can take a tour of it. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, it was Kingston, New York. I believe that's in, like, northern New York. Well, yeah, it says north New York. Well, it says upstate New York. Um, but yeah, it it's Kingston. Kingston, oh yeah, that that is actually, no, that is, yeah, that's upstate, from New York City, so that's halfway in between Albany and New York City, yeah, so, so that's not there, even the there's, Adirondacks. There's a cabin out there that he stayed in, which is where he would, he would kind of, because he's not from there, he's from San Antonio. Really? He was born and raised in Texas, yeah. but he would go there, It's it was his friend's cabin, he would go there to get away and write, hmm. which I would love to do, um, yeah, but... So, Schreiber recounted this experience in his nonfiction title, Communion, in 1987. The alleged incident occurred on the night of December 26, 1985, as Schreiber slept alone in his cabin in the woods. Woken by a strange noise, he purposely saw a small non-human entity approaching his bed. Suddenly, it was morning. Not only had he awoken disoriented, but he felt oddly aggressive, too. It was during a session of regressive hypnosis a few months later that some of the memories returned. According to Schreiber, beings that he has since referred to as visitors entered his home and abducted him. While seen as a work of fiction added to his catalog of alien stories by many, Schreiber never wavered from his position. In fact, his later work only doubled down on the notion that aliens were visiting him in his book The Key, A True Encounter. Schreiber detailed another alien encounter that he claims took place in Toronto. Sleep in his Delta Chelsea hotel room in the middle of the night on June 6, 1998, Schreiber claimed to have been visited by another mysterious stranger. I got up to open the door, thinking it was a room service waiter. It was not. It was a man I described as about five and a half feet tall, older looking, like someone in his 70s. He wore dark colored clothing, a turtleneck, and charcoal slacks. Schreiber claimed the visitor stood motionless by the window for nearly an hour, expounding on the dangers of creating an intelligence more evolved than its creator. Schreiber claimed the visitor stood motionless by the window for nearly an hour, expounding on the dangers of creating an intelligence more evolved than its creator. Whoopsie. That's doubled. Schreiber said it was the most extraordinary conversation I've ever had in my life. Many are skeptical skeptical of Streber's alien abduction claims, but one former Green Beret commander and developer of weapons at Los Alamos, New Mexico, John B. Alexander, believes him. For more than two decades, I have been interacting with Whitley Streber and found him to be one of the most intelligent and thoughtful researchers in the world, in the field, said Alexander. There is... There is no, no doubt... Uh, there's no doubt he does not claim to fully understand. So. Uh, this guy's full of shit. Yeah. Uh, my opinion. I mean, okay, so he may have been going somewhere with the cabin isolated in New York. I've personally never really been to that part of New York. But um, I know that from reputation it is 
very wooded, very secluded along the Hudson River. But where he lost me was the hotel in Toronto. Okay, so here's my counter to that. This is what I actually believe. Because. I mean, I, I believe it too. I believe both counts of it. And I'll tell you why. The second count. So everybody's alien abduction stories are the same. These green men with the weird eyes and this and that. They, abdu- they abducted them. They probed them. Blah, 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 blah. What he is talking about in the second part in the hotel room, this is a man in black. Yeah, I figured as this, much. This is how I picture aliens. They they are not these green little thing. They're not Martian Manhunter. They're not all that stuff. This is how I picture them. They are going to look like us so that they can blend in. And we will, I think we're going to do another separate thing on the Men in Black because yes. there is a lot of it. Um, they are very awkward. They don't know how to shake hands. They can't high five you. If you try and high five them, they'll just stare at you. They'll, they're, they're just, they look human, but there's just something off and it makes your skin crawl because it's just, it's weird. Um, and so that's what I believe visited him. That's why, and they are known to come to people's doors. No matter, like, the the men in black are known to be in the suburbs and start knocking on people's doors. And if you invite them in, then they abduct you. And things like that. So Watch yourself. Do not inv- invite random ass looking people into the house. Got yes. it. But, so that's why I believe that this is legit. To me, this uh, this just sounds too much like the work of a fiction writer. And I'm just... It's too... I, I, I don't know. It's just, to me, my gut is telling me this is... this is The first part is the most believable part, but the second part to me is just... I, it's fiction. He, he, tried, he doubled down trying to get more... We're going to circle thing. back to this one when we do the Men in Black and you hear about more of the Men in Black encounters. Mm. And then I want to see what your opinion is after that. Mm. My opinion my opinion was the same until I studied the Men in Black and then it changed because it's... Mm. it The Men in Black are fucking creepy. Mm. And we're not talking about like the movie Men in Black... We're talking about the aliens. Um, so, let's go to Pascagoula. Um, it was October 11th, 1973, when Calvin Parker and Charles Hickson went fishing on the banks of the Pascagoula River in Mississippi. At first, when Parker saw blue lights reflected in the water, he thought police had come to instruct the two to leave. A big light came from the clouds, Parker recalled. It was a blinding light. It was hard to tell with the light so bright, but it looked like it was shaped like a football. I would say just estimating it was uh, about 80 foot. It made very little sound. It was just a hissing noise like Parker then claims that three legless creatures floated out the vessel toward him. He described all three as having mitten-shaped claws. While one was necklace and gray, the other appeared to be more feminine. Sorry. Stop it. With one of them trying to wrap its hands around Parker's neck, his natural response of fear oddly subsided. I think they injected us with something to calm us. I was kind of numb and went along with the program. 
Parker alleged they're from they're from Mississippi. Parker alleged that he and Hickson were taken aboard the alien vessel and experimented on. Afterward, the two terrified fishermen found themselves back on the riverbank as though nothing had happened. They drove to the Jackson County Sheriff's Office and told Captain uh, Glean Ryder and Sheriff Fred Diamond his entire story. When I got in there, they had me, Hickson told the police. There were no seats, no chain. They just moved me around. I couldn't resist them. I just floated, felt no sensation, no pain. They kept me in that position a little while, then they'd raise me back up. Hickson claimed that a machine resembling a giant eye looked over his entire body. He said he was surrounded by inhuman, five-foot-tall, monopedal beings. Captain Ryder didn't believe the two men. He stepped out of the interrogation room but left a secret recording device running in hopes of obtaining proof that their alien stories were fabricated. But what he later heard on this recording made him think twice. Jesus Christ, God have mercy. I, I, I thought I'd been through enough hell on this earth and now i got to go through something like this, said Hickson to Parker. But they could have, you, you know, I guess they, well, they could have harmed us, son. They had youth. They could have they done anything to us. I just want to cry right now, added Parker. What's so damn bad about it is nobody's going to believe us. With no physical evidence of their abduction, this alien story remains a mystery. Parker stayed quiet about the event for decades, but after Hickson's death in 2011, he wrote a 2018 book on the matter. His publication prompted others to come forward, claiming that they too had seen a UFO that night. It makes me feel pretty good that I'm not the only one who saw something, he said. Most of these people are credible people. I think these boys had a little too much shine that so night. So here, here's my thing with this. I'm not saying I believe it. I'm not saying I don't. Here's the thing with this. Out of every alien abduction, this is the most unique. This is unlike any other alien abduction that you hear about. The, the way the aliens are described. He's talking about how high tech some of this stuff is. And... It's completely different. Again, I'm not saying I believe it or I don't. Well, it's definitely unique. It's it's unique, and honestly, I don't think these Mississippi boys have that good of an imagination. Nah. To, to was, think of something like this. These are simple men. Which makes me which makes me wonder, maybe did they ingest something? Did they drink too much? Did they have drugs? Keep in mind, I'm sure, the, I'm sure that's what the sheriff was thinking. He's like, oh boy, Texas and Parker are at it again. But, but here's the thing, like... I, whether again, whether it's real or not, whatever they believe it happened mm-hmm. because a grown man in Mississippi ain't gonna admit to crying about this stuff or yeah. want to cry. Yeah. yeah, that that's true. So even now they wouldn't admit to wanting to cry. No, so no, I agree. This is just one of those that we chalk up to maybe, maybe, maybe in. 1954, two Venezuelan teenagers claimed that they found a UFO in the woods and were only able to escape with their lives after fighting off small, hairy aliens. Brazilian journalist João Martins covered the alleged experience in 1957 and asked readers to send in their own. That's when he was contacted by farmer Antonio Dias Boas. Martins paid for the 23-year-old's travel expenses and put him up in Rio de Janeiro, where Dr. Olavo Fontes examined him. 
Boaz claimed that he experienced an alien abduction one day after reading Martin's article chronicling the Venezuela incident, which seemed rather convenient. Yes, it does. Boaz said he had been working nights in his family's field in order to avoid the hot daytime temps. On October 16, 1957, he perfectly saw a red star above the fields near Sao Francisco de Sales. As it approached, Boaz claimed that atop the egg-shaped craft was a cupola containing a rotating red light. And for our listeners in South America, we apologize for any of our pronunciations that are wrong. Um, we are all very white. Um, and although one of us has been, has been stationed in a Spanish country, um, Portuguese still the Hispanic, that whole thing. To our Portuguese listeners, I, um, (laughs) and and the one person that took five years of Spanish that doesn't remember any of it. Sorry. But a, a cupola would have been like a saucer, um, that, that is their their explanation for it. Um, as the vessel extended its three legs to Earth, just like every movie back then, Boaz claimed that he tried to flee, but was captured by five-foot-tall beings wearing gray overalls and helmets, and then taken aboard their ship. Boaz alleged that the beings' eyes were blue and small, and their communication consisted of animal-like sounds. <laughs> After blood was taken from his chin weird place. Boaz was permanently placed in a room filled with a strange gas which caused him to feel severely ill. Soon, a naked and attractive female entered the room. Boaz claimed the woman was adorned with long blonde hair and red pubic hair and that the two soon engaged in sex. Oh, fuck. Abduct me, please. Jesus. That's what it takes. Afterwards, the woman gestured to her stomach, then motioned upwards, which Boaz later interpreted to mean that she would raise their child in space. Boaz claimed he felt angry at having been treated like a good stallion by the beings. He was subsequently taken off the ship and watched it to ascend in the heavens. Four hours had passed since his abduction. Though both Martins and Dr. Fontes believed the story was fabricated, the doctor noticed signs that Boa had radiation sickness such as nausea and bruising, burning sensations in the eyes, and skin that was painful to the touch. Boaz later became a successful lawyer who created models of the UFO from his story in his spare time, while Walter Buhler of the Brazilian ufology group SBEDV visited him in 1962 and published a report on his story. It still remains unproven. Boaz died in 1991, but his intriguing alien story lives on. I 100% believe this. I want this to be real. Yeah. You, yo, you want it to be real so it happens to you. That's yes, what I you, do. Do you think she showed up for trying to make child support payments? Aliens, if you're listening, redhead or blonde with red pubic hair, please abduct me. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> do, do you think, so, do you think any subsequent alien visitations to South America were attempts to serve him with child support yes. orders? Yes. I mean, I, I okay. I think, oh, that, she, that alien ship says La Migra on it. <laughs> all right. Obviously, in all seriousness, there's more. Again, more, this is a another different. It's it's di- you know what? This I don't is, believe this. No, of course I, not. No. This, it's different. I'll give props to this dude but for originality. That, it, um, sorry, but 
blood from a chin and a gorgeous blonde I mean, show up. Okay. I will. I will say, blood from a chin. It's possible you actually have a very good vein that runs along your jawline. He could have been um, injured too. He hit himself. He could have, but you do have a very good vein that, in case in cases of emergencies, they nurses and doctors have been known to go into there with an IV if necessary. They don't like to because the jaw moves too much. Um, and it's it's a very small vein, so it can be rolled really easily. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is possible because it runs right here, right along the jawline. And then it goes up into, like, your mouth and then your cheeks and up. There's a, another flaw in the story, too, that I think. So he, he tells about he sees it landing. He tries to run, but he's captured by... Five foot tall beings wearing gray overalls and helmets. Where'd they come from? The ship. No, they were. No, they were. He. The ship is landing, and he's trying to run. They just appeared and grabbed him. Teleportation. Beam me up, Scotty. <laughs> Teleportation. I mean, these things. These things are. They're futuristic, man. They were able to summon summon a goddess. <laughs> yeah. To get pre- impregnated by this. Rando Venezuelan. I'm sorry, buddy. I don't think they're going to pick you to do that with. No. Like, I'll probably go pick a king or something like that. Um, so. But I honestly don't believe it just because Martin's literally just released an article. And then, like, the next day he gets a call. This, this happened to me. Sure yeah. Did, buddy. Yeah, okay. Sure. I'm going to raid Martins and tell him this happened to me. Um, all right. On October 21st, 1978, Australian pilot Frederick Valentik disappeared. Oh, we're going to uh, Australia. We have quite a few listeners. Oh, yeah. In Australia. It's not even a country. Oh, God. That's not, it's a penal colony. We apologize to the people of Australia for, for Kate for Mara. Have you seen the shit they have over there? The fucking spiders? Yes, I've seen it. That's why I the will not... The snakes? Fuck that shit. It's I a penal sorry. colony. Yes. I'm sorry. I... Australia, you are I... hell on earth. Yes, because literally every creature essentially wants to kill you. Yes. You think koala bears look so cute and cuddly, but they're actually very fucking aggressive. So, fuck Australia. But still listen to us. Yes. Um, <laughs> I apologize, Australia. I'm Australia, we, Kate and my wife, Pam. Australia, we need your money. Keep listening to us. <laughs> um, it was during a 125 nautical mile training flight aboard his Cessna 182 Lima over the vast straits between Tasmania and the Australian mainland that the confounding incident occurred. It's important to note that the 20-year-old, who was an enthusiast of alien stories and ufology, was a fairly experienced pilot. At 7.06 p.m., while at 4,500 feet after departing Murabin to reach King Island, Valentik reported that an unidentified craft was following him. Melbourne Flight Service insisted that there was no traffic near him, but the pilot was adamant a large vessel was on his tail. He explained that it had four bright lights and suddenly passed a thousand feet above him at a remarkable speed. For five straight minutes, Valentik described its movements and shiny metallic exterior. Suddenly, Valentik experienced engine trouble. Melbourne Flight Service asked him once again what the aircraft looked like. It's hovering, it's not an aircraft, were his final words. 
the last sound radio officials heard was a metallic scraping sound. Authorities presumed he had crashed, but a later search of the area yielded nothing. Not even the Australian Department of Transport could find answers. And in 2014, however, new claims came to light. A UFO action group in Victoria alleged that an unidentified farmer observed a UFO nearly 90 feet in length hovering above his farm on the morning following Valentich's disappearance. More importantly, the farmer purposely claims that the pilot's plane was stuck to the UFO leaking oil. While the farmer said he scratched the airplane's registration number on his tractor, he never came forward, claiming that the ridicule he'd received from his peers after telling them uh, his tale had discouraged him. Unfortunately, the Victorian UFO group never managed to identify the man. For the UFO Action Group's lead investigator, George Simpson, frustration abounds. It's easy for some to dismiss, but there are corroborating stories confirming that there was a UFO near Adelaide at the time, he said. That this was an experienced pilot who should have been able to identify another aircraft, but was clearly unable to. Ultimately, only a few possibilities regarding the disappearance of Frederick Valentin exist. That he crashed and his remains were never recovered that he purposefully disappeared, or, of course, that he was abducted by entities we don't yet understand. This is the one I believe the most. Where's the fucking plane? Yeah. Where is it? So look Planes at, don't just disappear. Well, um, well actually, they kind of do. Um, Not but, really. Well, there's the, um, what was that, that Malaysian flight that disappeared over the Indian Ocean? They've never found any remains of that. Even aliens. to this day. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying it's aliens. Um, That's it. It's aliens. Um... I agree this is the more believable story. I'm on the fence with this one, mostly because there are incidents that can... There are things that can happen to a pilot when he's flying that, you know, affects his, his vision, he but starts hallucinating. This, this is an experienced it, pilot. It doesn't, it, it doesn't matter. It's still... It can it, happen. It and can it wasn't going at, like, over 30,000 feet. It was at 4,500 feet. I'm not like I said. I I don't know enough about piloting to, to say oh it could do this or it can't. It could still happen this and that, but there are some reasonable explanations for it. But like you said though, this is what this could be. This is why it's more believable. He didn't get abducted. He didn't show up on the ground. He's just flying along and somehow he crashes into it. Um, but. And it is very odd that they would not find something. Uh, Cessna 128 Skyline is not exactly... It's a smaller plane, but again, it's it's very odd that it's found nothing. I don't believe the whole, oh, he, he just disappeared. It's like... No, okay, so talking about stuff that could happen to the body at this altitude. Again, 4,500 feet's not high. It's 1,372 meters. Um, it's normal range for a light aircraft. Barometric pressure and altitude. At 4,500 feet, the barometric pressure is lower than at sea level, but it's not at a level where significant uh, physiological effects like altitude sickness are likely to occur. The oxygen levels at 4,500 feet are still sufficient for most people to breathe comfortably without experiencing hypoxia. However, if he had a pre-existing respiratory condition, he may notice some side effects. Um, changes in altitude can affect ear and sinus pressure, similar to what you experience during a takeoff or landing in commercial flights, um, could have dehydration, um, but an experienced pilot's going to hydrate himself. Um, some individuals may experience motion sickness, 
especially the flight involves turbulence. Um, and then there's cooler temperatures, but again, the motion sickness, the all of this stuff, he's an experienced pilot. He's not he's also not in a in a raptor that's doing Mach whatever. That's that's pushing six G's. Yeah. He he's just cruising. So the him having some type of epoxy that anything like that, unless he has a pre existing condition, which would have been told in the story that as a possible misnomer saying, Oh, he had a pre existing condition. Right. So I with that pre-existing condition, depending on how severe it was, his pilot license would have been revoked. Uh, it, it depends, because he's not flying commercially. Um, if he's flying for himself, he could still fly. They won't take it away. Um, yeah. if, he's, if he's transporting goods, if he's transporting people, then yes. But they're the they don't really monitor that, because there's a lot of old guys that have heart conditions and stuff like that that still fly mm-hmm. but they just do it privately yeah. um, I mean I sincerely <laughs> doubt that um, motion sickness would have made him hallucinate no, no. Uh, hypoxia would have but he's he was not that high for it so like I said I this one is the more <laughs> believable one it's just very odd that there's no wreckage where's the wreckage like obviously if he was abducted they never gave him back yeah they, they took the plane with them. Which is also kind of says something a little bit more sinister. They took the plane with them. They're studying the plane. They're doing whatever. I can't imagine it says it would be interesting to an alien, to alien group. It's, to a, go it's a shit they don't know. Yeah. I mean, it, even if we had... I mean, we've got very advanced airplanes. Even if we saw something that was less advanced than ours, but something we've never seen before... You know the U.S. is going to take that and study it. There's the board. He was abducted. He yeah. was, they, assimilated, yeah, they assimilated the Cessna. Um, so. Okay, I don't, I don't think it was the board because the board tried to gain more intelligence and the board of you and, said that humans are pretty stupid. Well, and it, this was a big ship, not a cube. So, okay. Um, okay, have you seen the board cubes, though? Yes, but they said it was a long ship. Yeah. It would have, they would have, he would have said, oh, this is a cube. Um, so, on November 5th, 1975, Travis Walton was permanently abducted and didn't return for five whole days. When he did, he had quite the explanation for his disappearance. Dismissed as a mentally unstable liar, uh, Walton chronicled his alleged alien stories in The Walton Experience three years later, which was adapted into the science fiction classic Fire in the Sky, which is Amazing. Great movie. Never seen it. It is very, very good. It is not a true story at all, but for a sci-fi classic, it is a sci-fi classic. It doesn't even it doesn't even follow what happened to him. No, what it he what he said is doesn't even it's, it's that's why he hates the movie. Yeah. Hollywood ruined a fake story. It's great, they made it better. Um yeah, actually, because they had better writers. Yeah. Um you can ask Pam how dry his writing is. Oh I couldn't even get past like I couldn't even get 20 pages into his book. Out of 600 pages. Yeah. Uh, Walton's abduction began after a long day's work in Sight Graves National Forest near Herber, Arizona. Walton and a six-man group of loggers were returning home when they allegedly spotted a shiny disc spanning 40 feet in diameter hovering in the sky above them. (coughs) Excuse me. It was a metallic glowing disc. 
making some very strange sounds, he recalled. The closer I got to it, the more scared we all got, and they were swearing at me to get away from there, and when I got up close, it suddenly got louder and started to move. Walton then claimed that non-human beings abducted him and experimented on him until he fought them off. He has maintained this claim for 45 years, but as the beings were perfectly poked and prodded at him on a kind of table, five days elapsed on Earth, where Walton was officially declared missing and his co-workers became suspects. I became conscious inside the craft and I believed I was in the hospital, said Walton. I was in a lot of pain and as I became more conscious, I looked around and I saw alien beings and I just panicked. They were much smaller than me, and I think that's the reason they gave up. Uh, he said, adding that he hit one of them. Once they found out they couldn't control me, they split. I was absolutely terrified. Meanwhile, Walton's colleagues were questioned by authorities, and when Walton miraculously reappeared, full-scale investigation was launched that included polygraphs, psychological evals, and physical examinations. For five days... The authorities thought he'd been murdered by his co-workers and then he was returned, said ufologist Jim Ledwith. All of the co-workers who were there, who saw the spacecraft, they took, they all took polygraph tests and they all passed, except for one, and that one was inconclusive. In the end, the Walton case remains as inconclusive as all of these alien abduction stories do. Curiously, however... Later research conducted at the site of Walton's abduction showed an unusual growth rate in the trees where the craft had allegedly hovered. Trees near the site were found to be producing wood fiber at a rate of 36 times greater than they had in the decades before. Dude. Travis Walton's a fucking whack job. Yes. So, one thing that was, obviously, since this was a condensed version, there is one aspect when, uh, during that five days, when Travis Walton was disappeared, his friend, who was the one in charge of the logging crew, um, he, the National Enquirer had, was interviewing him. Now, he, the movies make it look like he was more like, yeah, get away from me, get away from me. Robert, Robert Patrick did a great job in that film. Great actor, love him. Um, but he made, the movie made it look like, oh my God, I just everyone leave me alone. But in reality, he was at, the, his, the person he portrayed is actually pretty open about it. He yeah. was, again, he was professing his innocence, saying we didn't kill him, the aliens abducted him. The National Enquirer is interviewing him, and one thing that stuck out to me, that, that made even the National Enquirer believe this is full, this is bullshit, was he made a mention that, oh, well, I, I guess you're not going to be able to fulfill your uh, your contract with yeah, forestry. So, so here's the thing. So the, these loggers, they had a contract with the Forest Service, they had X amount of time to cut X amount of trees. We don't know. They never went into detail. Well, I um, did, so it was, they had like a month left on the contract and they got visited um, at the site by uh, inspector. And the inspector reported back to the forestry service, these guys are not going to get it done yeah. in the reported time. If they didn't get a report, if they didn't fulfill the contract, they would have been fined twenty five hundred dollars. Yeah. So, so, but we we don't know the length of the contract. We don't know what the contract entailed. But basically, these guys were short on the contract. There was no way they were going to get this contract done. 
they were going to be fined a lot of money. They were going to lose the contract. Yeah, they also would have lost a lot of funding because you have to remember that what happens with uh, what happens with a lot of these contracts is some of these businesses they own the people, but they don't own a lot of the equipment. So the forestry service will basically loan them equipment as, and they don't have to pay for that equipment as long as they fulfill the contract. Well, if they don't fulfill the contract, the, this logging equipment is gone. millions of dollars. And so not only is that equipment gone, but they have to pay them for the time that they had the equipment. Um, and if we have any loggers that listen to us that want to give us some insight of how it was back then and all that, please let us know. Um, but yeah, so they would have been out a lot of money. So a lot of people believe, and I believe this as well, that this was a, this was kind of almost a stay of execution for their, for their contract because this, this did put their contract on pause. It didn't stop it. Didn't let it continue. It put it on pause while this investigation was happening because now this site is an active crime scene. So there's nothing that can happen. So it puts it on pause so that, well, Travis Walton comes back. We have five days to secretly do this. Let's let's get as much as we can in five days. And then they'll extend that contract. We'll have that extra five days that maybe in 10 days we can get this stuff done. Or more likely what that what they would do is it would allow him to get out of the contract with no penalties. Yeah. I mean. Well, there's another thing is mm-hmm. that if they didn't finish this contract it is rumored and I don't know how the federal contracts work or anything like that but it is said that if they did not finish the contract they would never be able to get another forestry service contract again so effectively the business would be dead yeah. exactly so that's my beliefs I, I don't believe Travis, I've never believed Travis Walton's story made a good movie but I've never believed Travis Walton's story I think it's a crock of shit he still sticks to it even when he the goes movie, he goes to alien conventions yeah, he goes to all of that stuff there is more articles out now um, I don't remember how long ago it was released but a couple of the guys recanted oh, yeah. the story oh, yeah some of them are dead now but well, the ones that are alive have yeah. recanted the story about his abduction, just saying, no, we needed to get this work done. This is what he came up with. Yeah, so, who knows? He'll uh, stick to it. So. Yeah. yeah. And so as well as his wife oh, and kids. Well, yeah, keep that royalty money coming in. Yeah. Audrey and Debbie Hewins not only claimed that aliens exist... But that alien abductions do too, and they've experienced them. I was probably about five years old or so, said Aubrey, and a bright blue light would come into the room and the door would open, and there would be like a foggy kind of mist blue lights just shining through the whole house, and these two figures would come in. Though Audrey's first alien abduction allegedly occurred during childhood, she claimed these visitations continued well into adulthood. We have been together on abductions. We have been up in crafts and seen our house from above, so we realize they are not from here. 
They are very good at mind erasing or whatever you want to call it. They'll leave you with bits and pieces of things you can remember. Debbie added, I remember one time being on a spaceship and standing there on the spaceship and the floor and the walls disappeared and I was staring at the earth. Though the twins referred to these entities as the bald men, what they describe to people willing to listen closely resembles what ufologists have dubbed alien greys, or simply greys. Greys are alleged to be a type of extraterrestrial being that is human-like in form, grey-colored, with an enlarged, hairless head. Twins said they pleaded with their parents to not put them to bed for fear of encountering the bald men, but the adults simply dismiss these alien stories as a ruse to stay up longer. They started doing all kinds of experiments on us when we were 12, said Audrey. While she was initially hesitant to come forward, Audrey claimed that after a non-human entity saved her from drowning in the ocean, she was inspired to dedicate her life to openly discussing her alien abduction experiences. Neuroscientist Robert Davis was one of the first professionals to lend his support to the twins, explained that Audrey and Debbie Hewen's experiences are shared by many thousands, if not millions, worldwide. It's unreasonable to think that they would be lying or reporting dreams and fantasies, he said. These events are consistently reported, should be taken seriously by everyone in spite of their uniqueness. Alright, I'm going to give you my idea. I'm going to turn the music off for this because it's a serious one. My thought of this is these two girls were victims of sexual assault. That this was maybe the parents. Who knows? Because the parents were the ones to say no. This could be anybody. But at girls this age, anybody this age, their mind is going to protect itself by making up a story that is believable to them that's not as frightening. Because you notice they... They were terrified, but they all they said was they quote-unquote experimented on them and did this and that. I firmly believe that these girls believe it was true because their mind is protecting them from a case of sexual assault. I actually believe that as well. That makes a lot of sense since it's happening... Over the course of their lives. All the way up into adulthood. Exactly. Um, and they're twins. These two are going to be all always together. You notice they said sometimes they would abduct us together mm-hmm. and experiment on us together. Yeah. So I, I firmly believe that this is a case of sexual assault. Yeah. That, that, that's the more likelihood. I mean, as far as aliens... I'd love for it to be true. To be an alien yeah, yeah. not that, but... But I don't believe it. I mean, in terms of alien stories, this is pretty generic. And the biggest thing is, obviously, how, if you're being abducted, I mean, how are the parents not noticing that a, yeah. a, a strange thing is coming into their, right by their house consistently and it's not being... They're not noticing it. Yeah, so that's my thought. Yeah. And I won't delve more into that because this is supposed to be a funny one. Um, All right. 
But I was writing it, I did not put two and two together, so I am sorry, guys. No, 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 it's fine. Um, it's an alien abduction. That's just, I've read that story, and that I figured it was going to be in here. Um, and that is my view. Uh, so. Everybody grab your crayons. Oh, boy. Because we're going to some Marines. Uh, okay. What's everybody's flavor, favorite flavor crayon? Green. I eat regular food, not crayons. Um, Also, I'm in the army, so I will definitely never eat crayons. As a former United States Marine, Terrell Copeland isn't easily dismissed as an unreliable observer, so his alien stories are perhaps harder to shake. It's not. Copeland claimed that his first experience with aliens occurred in 2007, when he captured footage of what he believed to be a UFO on a cell phone from his apartment in Suffolk, Virginia. Hold on. I gotta pretend I have a crane in my mouth. I, I mean, I can go get some... Hold on, hold on. In translation, it was an orb of light, he said. Just a big ball of light. It wasn't moving. One was solid white. The other was directly across from the street, across the street from it, up 300 feet above the ground, and was changing colors very rapidly. Hoorah! <laughs> they always end their sentences with hoorah. Yeah. It's like a period. Um, Copeland recalled feeling as though something was wrong, and that he wasn't supposed to be witnessing the unnerving aerial appearance. But he alleged that it wasn't until after he published the footage online that things truly became strange. In translation, I woke up from a nap by the sound of someone trying to enter my apartment, he said. And I said, who is it? There was no answer. You could see the doorknob moving and scratching at the door, and I keep a fire on. It was on my table, and my thought was to get up and check. Despite the urge to get up, Copeland was paralyzed and only able to move his eyes. Suddenly, he perfectly heard a voice through the door tell him, you don't need that weapon. We mean no harm. At that point, I would have lo- I would have shot. Th- I would have unloaded three shots right into the door. He couldn't. He was, he was paralyzed. Um, the incident certainly resembled a natural phenomenon known as sleep paralysis, which is experienced by many. But Copeland soon began to experience missing hours as well. He was incapable of accounting for four waking hours during a span of two nights. In translation, when you see these objects. And then you do the research and you see that there are so many people who have experienced the same thing as you. You have to say to yourself, maybe there's something to this. Copeland claimed that as soon as he started to keep a log of notes and sketches, his memory of what had happened during his episodes of Missing Time began to resurface. In translation, I was in a room and I saw a woman who did not have complete human features. She had the typical black eyes that you hear about. She had an elongated skull, and that startled me. And the next memory I have is me standing on my balcony waving at the cylinder-shaped ship. Um, Copeland's alien stories, which were eventually chronicled in the History Channel by the famous man, um, remain both startling and unproven as all alien abduction tales do. In the end, however, Copeland said his experience was for the best and has left him with a desire to be a better person. In translation, I feel someone from above took notice of me. 
then maybe I'm doing something right. And if I'm doing something right, maybe I can do better. Hoorah. Do that sleep paralysis thing. <laughs> That's a real thing. Yes. It I is. think I think he's he's had one too many crayons. I, I sleep paralysis, I will say I have experienced it multiple times. Um you do see random shit. I don't see aliens. Like a mouse. I wasn't asleep! <laughs> Sorry, folks. We a little bit of a backstory. We thought we had a mouse in the house, and um, no, Pam thought we had a mouse. Well, yeah. in the house. Well, we yeah. we have we never found it. Fuck you guys. Maybe it's but an alien. I have seen stuff in sleep paralysis, so it is very likely that I believe what he saw, but I don't think it was an alien abduction because sleep paralysis if you wake yourself up from sleep paralysis you're still in yeah. the paralysis where you're just seeing <coughs> random things that your brain can't comprehend I know what happened to his missing where he went with his missing hours the cradle of factory <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, I, I mean, don't think it's that far from there there's also, there's also one other thing that just doesn't make sense and this is why we will never have a space marine corps because every time we send the marines anywhere they, if they destroy can, everything that or they'll try and bang every and bang everything so the fact that there's an alien woman and he is not immediately trying to, to he couldn't, he was paralyzed and, uh, well, you're that's right. the only thing that stopped him yeah <clears throat> To our, to he our, tried. To any of anybody who's listening who's a former Marine, we make no apologies for what we no, just we don't. did. We're no, all we don't. former. You deserve it. Yeah, we're all former servicemen and, and women, service people, service people. We have God, to be. We have to be politically correct. I hate my life. Um, to be <laughs> not not because of you. You're um, on the couch tonight, Mister. Um. Also, you're all in a cult. Yeah. yeah, you 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 deserve what's coming to you. Um, <laughs> oh, that's a little mean. The, yeah, that is a little. That's they're a little. all mean. How many, is, how many Marines are dickheads? Uh, how I, many Marines have you met that's a dick? I actually, work none. With, I, I I know two that are. I only nice. know I only know one that is not a dick, and he just left my work. Yeah, I know two cop. that aren't dicks. Um. <clears throat> anyways, the rest of you all are dicks. Um. So <laughs> those of you listening in Camp Lejeune. Uh, fuck you. Um, so, from the Air Force. Yes, and the U.S. Army. Yeah. Um, Sheila Young, who works as a preschool teacher, preschool carer, sorry, in Troy, Montana, ugh, says she and her family were abducted by aliens, and that it was the most horrific experience of her life. The fifty-three-year-old said. In the fall of 1989, me, my then-husband, and our three children were abducted and terrorized every night for six months. My children, who are now grown, all still suffer from PTSD from our experience. She explained, we lived on eight acres in a semi-remote location in northwest Montana when our abductions began. I believe the incident started in October. It was fall for sure because it, was, it really negatively affected my then-husband while he was hunting. It was the most horrific and terrorizing experience I've encountered to this day. My husband and three children were playing family games in our home when my husband and I saw a streak of fire shooting across the sky. We went outside and saw whatever seemed to have crashed or fallen from the sky on the upper part of our land. We investigated the next day as it was too dark at the time to see anything. We didn't notice the treetops seemed to be burnt, but we found no evidence of anything that had fallen or crashed. 
The next evening was a normal evening for us, and we put the children to bed, and my husband and I turned in for the evening. Around 3 a.m., we were awoken by bright lights coming through our entire house, and we were both keenly aware that we were being watched. Recalling what she says was her encounter with extraterrestrials, Sheila added, I have a scar where I remember being hooked to some sort of TV monitor night after night with hundreds of other humans. Those days and hours are etched into our memories. We did report the incidents to our pastor, who came and did a house blessing, which seemed to help. What's he going to do? So, so, Blessings don't help with aliens. I'm just saying. (laughs) But, if there's going to be a fucking invasion of aliens, trust me, I have the most experience of this place of anybody. It's going to be in Montana. (laughs) I have been in Montana so much. Um, I was stationed in Wyoming. I worked in nuclear security. I was in North Dakota, South Dakota, and Montana. I've been to Montana so many times. I know where Troy is. Um, it is literally in the middle of nowhere. When you see <laughs> aliens creating crop circles and all of that, it's going to be in a place like Troy, Montana. This, now whether she, I'll tell you right now, Something this traumatic, this is the most traumatic one that you hear about. I I don't think she's making it up. No. Again, this is the place that they would do it the most because it's remote. Yeah. She has a scar. Yeah. Now, it, yes, a scar could have been from whatever, but... To have a, vi- but, a memory of how she got the scar. But listen... To, to sit here and your kids still suffer from PTSD, which could be studied and recounted, they're not going to keep up with that their entire life. No. They're, they're not. At this point in time, they would have come out and said, oh, this is fake. And it's even shown that there's been UFO sightings above certain bases that have nukes on them and in those areas. I also believe I read somewhere Montana has the highest percentage of UFO sightings in the, at least in North America. I'll tell you why. Because they're all on meth? No. I'll tell you why I believe. So, I believe that aliens have far better technology than we do. Um, They're far more advanced. So, if I were an alien, and I am trying to figure out where... Some technologies are, stuff like that. I'm going to do a scan. Well, my scan's going to pop up radiation. So, where is the most radiation in the U.S. besides power plants? Nuke bases. Right over the nukes. So, that's why you see them the most there. I think they're looking for power. Maybe their ships are nuclear powered. Nuclear fission is a thing. I mean, we are missing a nuclear warhead from an uh, alien. Yeah. Nuclear fission is a legit thing. Um, We, for a very long time, we've been looking at safely powering space shuttles and things using nuclear fission because it saves a lot of fucking money because it's a natural occurrence. So they're trying to get away from gas and all of this jet fuel and stuff like that. So nuclear fission's been a thing. So maybe these aliens run on nuclear fission. So 
they're scanning for <laughs> nuke, nukes to fill up. Like, it's a fucking Tesla. We're a gas station. Yeah, like, it, like it's a Tesla and they're trying to plug in. Maybe maybe their ship can absorb the nuclear energy. So they that's why they're hovering over these places. That That's my experience. I think this is probably one of the most realistic for me. Oh, yeah. I just don't get the whole terrorize the family part of this. You flew Nobody said aliens are nice. Yeah. I don't believe aliens are nice. I believe in aliens, but I believe aliens are assholes. I, I think they're... So here's my thought. My thought is aliens are going to be like humans. You have the good ones and you have the bad ones. They are, there are different kinds, just like there's all different kinds of humans. Okay. Let's take this to the sci-fi channel route. Stargate SG-1. You have the Asgard, who are what the quote-unquote greys are supposed to look like. I still can't get over Thor as a little tiny green alien. <laughs> but you have the good Asgardians, but then you also have that branch of the research ones that are just complete dicks that abduct whoever and terrorize them. Well, I mean, and going in that route, even in the same in the same sex, look at the Jaffa. Yeah. Jaffa. You have good and bad. Yep. In both. Teal'c. You have Teal'c who turns Ray-tack. out. You have Teal'c who turns out to be an amazing, quote unquote, person because he's an alien. Yep. But he turns out to be an, a a great person and ends up becoming a god of war. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. But, and then you, but if you look at the beginning of it, when they're walk through the fucking portal, they're just attacking everything that they can fucking see. So you got to understand that it's, it's, we are as just creatures, you are going to be aggressive slash uh, cautious about things we don't understand. Aliens don't understand us. They could they could see us as a threat. And <laughs> and so they are trying to... I'm sorry. They are torturing. They are... Listen, if... I believe there's life on hundreds of other planets. Oh, yeah. There, we have not... Ex, we haven't even explored 1% of our galaxy. Mm-hmm. So I believe there's life on other planets. Some of those lives may be simple. They may still have cavemen. That the aliens have encountered that. So then they go from that to us, who have fucking planes and missiles and all of this, that's a huge threat to them. We, with one of these missiles, could you imagine an alien flies over Israel? Iron Dome takes him out. It's gone. So... I'm just saying right now, if if we ever get, if we get our property, if we ever get a property or anything... We're creating an Iron Dome. Well, there's that too. Um, (laughs) An alien shows up, I'm shooting first and asking questions later. And then I'm gonna, I'm gonna probe him. (laughs) Wow. <laughs> see how see how he likes it. I'm gonna come out with a blonde wig and red pubic hair. <laughs> so, that's one. That's one thing I don't. Well, I don't. Again, this the why, why the, the carpet didn't match the drapes. No, not that. Okay, I was, I was thinking that, but I didn't want to say it because I'm like, okay, that's a little crossing the line. Um, with the shield of young, well, I do believe. Well. Well, just to wrap it up with Sheila Young, I do believe this is again one of the more believable ones. Not, uh, Sheila Young was. We just. It wasn't we, Sheila Young. It was the Montana. Yeah, Sheila Young. Huh. This is, I'm, I'm, I'm reading your notes. Okay, I'm sorry. I for, I copied and pasted this one. Um, 
while I do believe I do believe this is this is definitely in the category of the much more believable, more likely to happen. Again, what I don't understand is a lot of things are. It seems to be like where it's horrific. You have a gun. Where where are you not? Are these people not shooting them? If some well, like they may I'm, not have guns. He said the the husband was hunting. He has a yeah, gun or he has a bow. Either way, a he has, lot of these stories start out the same way. I was paralyzed, or uh, I was asleep. And then I disappeared and reappeared. True, but in this... I'm talking about this case. This case, it seems like... She was sleeping. Yeah, Mm. they were taken at night when they went to bed. The next evening was normal for us. We went to sleep, and around 3 a.m. we were woken by bright lights, and we were aware that we were being watched. Um, So, and then their memory started to come back. Mm. So... Um, now, Sheila's not the only person to have shared her story. On Reddit, user Synodic Oracle wrote, I had an awful experience that I know can't have been a nightmare because I keep getting flashbacks and feel sick with fear when I remember. When I woke up, there were people surrounding me, or things. I can't remember what they look like. I screamed and ran to my mom's room, but she couldn't hear me. When I pulled the cover from her head, nobody was there. Everything sort of melted around me. Story goes on. There was a candle in my hand, and there was a white fluid in a syringe. I screamed, and they, they then put it into me through the candle. It hurt so much, and it felt like I was burning inside, and I remember the pain. I almost blacked out with the pain. I felt smoke in my throat, and it tasted acidic and thick. I pushed my way out of this tube, and I ran. I kept on running. They held me down and put more of this liquid in me. The pain almost killed me. Then I blacked out and was back in my room. All night I tossed and turned in pain and I realized my voice had been totally silenced. The thick smoke in my throat muffled my voice. I screamed them to take it out. I did not wake up until 1600, which is 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and my mom had to wake me up since it was so late. The veins in my hand are sticking out, and I feel itching and stinging pain inside my fingers. I took painkillers, but nothing helped. That's fucking terrifying. It does. I'm a little skeptical of it, simply because it is Reddit, and it's, and it's um, no real... I believe obviously. everything on Reddit. <laughs> of course you do. I do. Um, it's very graphic, and this sounds very horrific, and yeah. I hope to God this is fake, because I would... Not, I don't. I would not wish this kind of trauma on anybody. Um, we're gonna speed through these next few. Um, uh, it's just this next one we can skip the. The last one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So this last one. This also <clears throat> comes from Reddit. Um, I so what it's these are. so it's true. Okay. <laughs> um, when I was young, about four or five, I had my experience. Up until a few years ago, I thought it was a dream because it was a very vague memory. But throughout the years, it kept getting clearer. Here's what I can remember as of now. I remember me as a child. I'm on this table. It was like a slab in the middle of an all-white room, and the room was extremely bright. I was in an outfit that reminded me of a hospital gown, and I can't move my body or head. I can only look around with my eyes. Suddenly, the door opens. It was like an automatic door. Behind the door, it was an all-white. It was all-white as well, and suddenly these two people are in the doorway. They were very tall, probably around seven feet or so, extremely thin, and pure black, so I couldn't make out any features. 
I've dealt with strange things all my life. Scars magically appearing on my body, bruises I wake up with, etc. It's true, it's on Reddit. Mm. I mean, I wake up with bruises all the time on my body. You've been abducted. I don't think I've been abducted. abducted. Alright, so. Wrapping this up, we're gonna... I'm gonna save my thoughts on aliens last. I'll let Ben go first. Let's let Ben go first, then Pam can go, and I will save mine for last because it's the best one. Ouch. So, I believe in aliens. I believe that just, um, it's very unlikely that we are alone in the universe. I also, but, a, a but on that is, I believe most abduction stories, and I'm talking like a very high percentile, almost to the, almost to 90%, are false. For the simple reason is that, they they all kind of sound the same, and then at a certain point you have to really you have to really take a step back and just wonder okay what what is it? an alien is coming around doing it now if you look at it from like some people say look at it from like a researcher researchers or a a biologist standpoint they would go for you know when they when they study animals they go for isolated ones they tag them and everything. So, but, like I said, it's just, I just find it very odd that an advanced species, space-faring, a space-faring uh, people would just, are going to go out of their way and just study, you know, like, we're not, despite us being obviously mammals and animals, we're not really animals. You know, we we have what I I guess would I would consider a civilization. I just find a lot of these stories very far fetched, and they all they they all sound so similar. I I feel like some of them are just feeding off of one another. It's just somebody reads a story, whether they intended to or not, they just all start copying each other. And like you pointed out before, sometimes these are just covers for traumatic events that the that these people just cannot process. And they just, they come up with aliens. This last one right here where it's a stream of light. This sounds like a medical emergency that happened very young, four or five. And he's remembering aliens, but in reality he was probably at a hospital. Maybe he was near death. Or this person was near death, and this is how they remember it. So. And and this here, we're not, we're not going to debate each other's thoughts because it's everybody's own opinions and we could spend hours and hours debating this yeah. um, and we're not going to do that. Maybe we'll do that if you guys want on another episode we'll just, we won't have any topics, we'll just do a debate about aliens and things like that because I know Ben and I just ourselves can go for hours and hours debating. So Yes, it's very annoying at times. Um, Alright Pam, comes in handy. your thoughts? So... I do believe in aliens. I believe that we have been visited by aliens from other galaxies and other planets. But I have another interesting theory that I like is that because we have a lot of Bermuda Triangle-like areas, the Great Lakes, the Bermuda Triangle, I think that those are portals. 
And that is how aliens are coming in. So I believe that, yeah, like Ben, I believe only a few of the incidences that we talked about are actually true. Other ones are just kind of covering up traumatic injury, like traumatic events, because the brain, we still don't know a lot about the brain, where it could just be a cover for everything. Okay. All right. So, obviously, I've said I believe in aliens. Um, I like. Ben said, I I think it's absolutely asinine and very bigoted of us to think we are the only creatures in the universe that have life. We're the only habitable planet. We've already proven there's other habitable planets. Whether there's life in those or not, we don't know. We haven't fully explored them yet. Um, but we have only scratched the surface of our galaxy. It, we have such an amazing galaxy around us um, that, like I said, we've only, we haven't even, if you look at the statistics, we haven't even reached like 0.1% of what is out there. We've barely we, scratched the we surface. We can't go that far. We haven't figured out how to do it yet. Um, or somebody has and they are just not telling people. But my thoughts also sort of align with Pam's in... So I do believe that there are aliens in different places. So I believe that there are aliens out in the further reaches of the galaxy that are taking light years to get to us or blah, 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 visiting other planets. I also believe there are some here on Earth. I believe that they are on another plane of existence. Um, if you, if we look at places that are prone to cryptids and things like that, um, we look at especially places like Skinwalker Ranch, where this place, not just cryptids, but Everything has been seen there, um, which I want to try and visit. Um, you have fun with that. I'm going to skip that one. But there, it has been talked about that in Skinwalker Ranch, there is a part of Skinwalker Ranch that you can go to, and at the right angle, you can almost see a tear in what looks like just the world, where a lot of people believe these cryptids and things are coming through. I believe that through tears like that, they are still here. They're on this planet. And it's, I don't necessarily believe in, in the natural sense of a portal of they're going from planet to planet. I believe that they are going from plane to plane. That's so, what I meant with So they are, they are still here. They are on planes of existence that they're moving in and out of. And that's why they are disappearing so quickly. Um, what maybe they have technology that can rip holes into the space time. Our, our scientists have been trying this for decades mm. on how to break into the space time continuum and trying to manipulate matter and 
time travel and things like that. There are some people that claim they've achieved it. Um, and that we're going to be doing a few of those too because I, as much as Ben hates it, I love time travel. I do too. Um, it's very interesting. I, there are quite a few time travel stories that I love um, that are fun to poke at because they're obviously ridiculous. Um, but we've been studying this stuff for so long and showing that it is possible. It's possible to, or it's possibly possible to go back in time. It's or forward in time. Um, so I think that's that's how these aliens are moving around and getting around. Um, but end of the day, I without being a complete dick, if you think that we are the only creatures in this universe, you are naive. It, you are, you are naive, you are big-headed, whatever. Because even if you want to look at it from a religious standpoint, there is nothing in the Bible that said Earth is the only place that life was created. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Nothing says that. So if you want to look at, because there's a lot of religious zealots that try and say that we are it, blah, 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 blah. There's nothing that says it if you want to go that aspect. I mean, there's even, like, going off of religion and stuff, there's even religions that don't believe in ghosts, don't believe in yeah. demons, don't believe any of that is real. They yeah. believe in angels and God and that's it. Yeah, so, but yeah, I, I firmly believe aliens exist. I honestly... If we could have a great encounter with one, I'd love to, I'd love to have it. I'd, I'd love to be the person to say, factually, like, with pictures and all of this, like, hey, Ben and I got to see a fucking alien because Pam was too scared to look at it. <laughs> so, Ben and I are going to, Ben and I are going to sit there and take a fucking selfie with an alien. Do you blame me? Yes. Well, I mean, most of the aliens, honey, are about your size. Yeah. You, know? you would blend, we just paint your skin gray, you blend right in. Fuck you. Um, so, I, I listen, if I have the chance, I'm taking a selfie with an alien. So, but No yeah. aliens are invited into this house? No, I but we this. will meet you out back. Ben yeah. and I will meet you out back. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... That's it. Um, we want to thank you guys for listening. Um, and thank you for visiting the Scarlet Tavern. Remember to turn in your glasses, push in your seat, and as always, tip the bard. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.